everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, congratulations, you've made it to week 18 of our adventure through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. And this week we'll be finishing up the book of 2 Kings. We'll be starting in 2 Kings chapter 23 and then moving into the book of 1 Chronicles all the way up through chapter 14. And we're picking up the story kind of right in the middle of the account of King Josiah. It actually began in last week's reading in chapter 22. So if you want to just sort of reorient yourself to the text real quick, look back in chapter 22 and to remind yourself that this is the section where the lost book of the law is found by Hilkiah the priest in the temple. And when it's talking about the lost book of the law, it's probably, most scholars think he's talking about the book of Deuteronomy, but it could be talking about all five books of the Pentateuch or Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then Hilkiah the priest and some of his associates go to speak to a female prophetess. And basically she proclaims a word from the Lord that the Lord is still planning to bring disaster onto Judah because of their disobedience. And so they take this message back to King Josiah in chapter 23, and then he instigates a full-scale program to flush out every idol that's left in Judah. And he cleans the temple, but he even goes beyond that in cleaning out the household idols. As Josiah is making these reforms, we see some circling back to previous stories from the book of Kings. Uh, one is that Josiah finally takes down that cursed altar at Bethel that was set up by King Jeroboam when the kingdom first split into the north and the south. Josiah goes there, he takes down that golden calf, he burns the Asherah poles, but then it circles back to this story, this very strange story in the book of uh, 1 Kings 13 about a man of God who pronounced a judgment against Israel. They leave his bones intact. We circle back to that story. And then we celebrate the Passover. And it says that not since the time of the judges had, had they celebrated the Passover. And I love this description of Josiah in verse 25 it says neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses but even then nevertheless the Lord did not turn away the fierce heat of his anger which burned against Judah because all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. So in spite of all of these reforms, God's anger and judgment toward Judah seems set. And then we read in the end of chapter 23 about the unfortunate death of Josiah and the setting up of a couple of his sons as kings. Uh, there's some discussion there about Pharaoh Nico. He comes up and seems to be exerting some control in Judah. But then 
King Nebuchadnezzar arrives on the scene in chapter 24 and his invasions throughout chapter 24 and 25 ultimately result in the end of Judah as a kingdom and the temple is destroyed. The temple treasures are carried away to Babylon and it says in chapter 25 at the end of verse 21 so Judah went into captivity away from her land a very sad statement about the consequences of disobedience of God's people but even so the book of 2nd Kings ends on somewhat of a hopeful note here's King Jehoiakim he's exiled his eyes have been put out he's in Babylon but when a new king ascends to power, he, he takes kindly to King Jehoiakim, lets him out of prison, and gives him a seat of honor with the other kings in Babylon. And so he puts aside his prison clothes for the rest of his life. He eats regularly at the king's table. And it says in the final verse of 2 Kings, day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin regular allowance as long as he lived. This is kind of a little flicker of light, a glimmer of hope at the end of 2 Kings that even though God's people have lost their land, even though their temple has been destroyed, even though they don't have a way to make sacrifices to atone for their sins, God has not forgotten about them. Jehoiakim is given a place at the king's table. There's a flicker of light. There's a tiny spark in the night that something good might happen. And we will continue that part of the story once they are in captivity, as we'll see in some later books in scripture. Later in the week, we'll move into the book of Chronicles. And the book of Chronicles, you're going to notice, has a lot of parallels with the book of Kings. It covers some of the same territory. So we need to talk about, for a moment, what are the differences between these two books? For many years, the traditional position was that Ezra the priest was the author of the books of Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Now there's a little bit of doubt cast about that, the exact authorship, but what we do know more about is the date and the purpose. And it's written as the people are returning to the land. They've been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They're returning to the land. And this book is put together as a way to orient this new generation to God's covenant promises. Sort of like the book of Deuteronomy was orienting God's people in that second generation in the wilderness to God's covenant. The book of Chronicles is doing that for the post-exile people. The author of Chronicles focuses a lot of his attention basically on three things. One is genealogies. He's wanting to establish how these people got to the land, who's connected to the land, who has land inheritance rights, and who has religious rights. There's a lot of meaning behind those genealogies. And he's also wanting to highlight the righteous reigns of Kings David and Solomon. And some people would say that the author of Chronicles is really presenting us with an idealized picture 
of David and Solomon. He's drawing on a, a number of different sources, but he's definitely arranging the material in a certain way to give us an impression of these kings and their reigns. And he does highlight a few other righteous kings along the way, Hezekiah and, and Josiah, but mostly he's focused on David and Solomon. Now chapters 1 to 9 of First Chronicles is a series of genealogies. And as I was reading this myself this week, I'm going to give you a tip for something that helped me, and that was to read it using an audio Bible. There are so many names in here, and it can just become mind-numbingly difficult to read through because most of them you can't pronounce. You don't really know what they're supposed to sound like. Whereas if you kind of go through the text, reading it as the audio Bible is saying it out loud, it will at least help you to be able to get through all of these names. And you won't be stumbling as you go along. Secondly, it will be very helpful to understand that there are certain purposes behind these genealogies. These aren't just random nor are they necessarily exhaustively complete. Rather, these are selected names that have a particular purpose and serve in the intent of the author as to why he's including certain people in this account. There's three general areas in which genealogies function for the ancient world. One would be to explain the clan connections between large family units. And this would be important because people need to know uh, things about social status and privileges, who the firstborn is, who the children were that were born from concubines, because that's related to property rights. And there are important aspects of social status that are connected to birth order. A second purpose is legal or political purposes of genealogies. And this would be mostly tied up to establishing heredity so that when there's competing claims between clans of who owns what land and you got to remember these these people and their ancestors they've been away from the land for 70 years so the author's trying to explain yeah your clan goes over here and your clan goes over here here's your property rights and and how all of those things are connected and the third purpose of genealogies in the ancient world was for religious reasons to establish who are the priests and who are the kings and who are they all connected to and who's got those rights? In the genealogies in First Chronicles, they start off with the patriarchs back in Genesis. Then they talk about the 12 sons of, of Jacob or Israel is his name sometimes here. And then they expand those genealogies of his some of his sons and... And again, it's a lot of names, so you don't have to read every one. You don't have to understand its significance, but if you can at least just try to get through it and understand the big picture of why these things are important, that's probably enough for now. When we get to the second half of First Chronicles, it's really focusing on the reign of David, and that's chapters 10 to 29. Now this week we'll only be reading through chapters 10 to 14 of this section. And as you read through these stories, some of them are going to be familiar to you. But one thing that will help keep you engaged 
is to notice some of the details that are maybe different in the stories. Sometimes the author of Chronicles gives us new information that the author of Kings leaves out. Other times he just puts a little different slant on it. Be watching for some of those things that are a little bit different than what you read in the Kings account. Well, that's all for this week. I hope that you find this helpful. I know the genealogies are going to feel challenging. You might need to drink some coffee before you get into them because it will be tough sledding. But I found the audio Bible option as a great workaround to that problem. And just remember this. It's all God's word. It's there because it's trying to tell us something. It doesn't mean that every piece of it has to speak to us personally, but we want to appreciate it as God's revelation to us and try to understand what is it that God is trying to tell his people and how can I have a deeper appreciation of that. I look forward to continuing the journey with you again next week. And at that time, we'll be continuing our discussion as we work our way through the book of Chronicles. We'll see you then. 